We're going to be looking at uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39 this morning. And um, this, is, uh, this text here we're going to be looking at, what we're going to be seeing is uh, the importance and the danger that we come against when we're taking Scripture out of context. These first two verses that we read here are quite alarming and have been alarming to a lot of people over the years uh, for what they say. The second thing we're going to see is a challenge to remember the zeal that we had when we first become Christians, to not be satisfied with the status quo, but we're challenged in these texts to remember the zeal you had when you first knew, that, found out, discovered that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, died and suffered in your place so that you could walk out this life with a purpose and, uh, and his purpose. And then the third thing we're going to see this morning is that this walk of the Christian walk is not for the faint of heart. It's for people who are committed to what God wants to do in their lives, in our lives, and in the lives of the people in our community. And so verse 26, it says, Dear friends, if we deliberately keep continue uh, sinning after we have received, uh, continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only one terrible expectation of God's judgment of the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refuses to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment would be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy on us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you were helped by others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all that you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away the confident trust in your confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from, God's, from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones, those whose souls will be saved. Well, that's a lot of text. And Lord, we just commit that text to you. We thank you that your word says that your word goes out and it accomplishes what it sets out to accomplish that it doesn't return empty. And so I just commit it to you and send it forth in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you probably noticed at the start of this, this first couple of verses here are in Hebrews chapter 10. Um, they're pretty challenging verses. And I want to begin just by, for a moment by saying that throughout the book of Hebrews, we see that the importance of being able to interpret Scripture in a proper context. 
And uh, what I mean by that is being careful not to take and isolate just a couple of verses or a single verse in such a way that it causes a wrong interpretation on it. So we come to these verses, and unless we know the context that they're written in, we're going to interpret them wrong. And without the proper contextual understanding, it's impossible for us to get the proper interpretation of what's really being said. He says, dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. You know, the writer's saying right there, he's saying that there is a fearful expectation of judgment to consume his enemies. He's saying that uh, the fearful expectation of judgment is coming down the pipe. And that's as good as it's going to get, and so there we go, you know. But this really, uh, this is really what the texts look like they're saying here. But, you know, if we take it at that, in that context, we might as well close up our Bibles, go home and sit and weep and wail and wait for the judgment, because that's all that's left. And this passage has caused untold angst in the lives of a lot of people who tried to understand it apart from its context. And this is such a perfect example of why we can't do that. You know, we've got to understand the, the main theme of the book of Hebrews here. And then you think, okay, I don't want to do no in-depth Bible study just to find the context of what's being said here to understand a couple of verses. I'll just breeze over those and, and just leave them for now. But, you know, we all, as God's people, and I know of this church, Bible studiers, we want to study the Word. We want to understand what they're saying and understand how they're tied to the context. And, uh, but that's not always easy to do. You know, they can feel like it can be overwhelming trying to think, okay, how do we do this? But, you know, it's amazing. God has a plan for everything. His Word seems to cover everything. And Ephesians 4.11, he says that it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's works for service. You know, he says, until we all reach the fullness of the knowledge of Christ, uh, you know, so that when we come, we're no longer infants tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And uh, we have great teachers in this church, like a couple of teachers that we have that are really functioning in their teaching gift is like Pastor Paul in his Wednesday night class and uh, Karen Lesher, she teaches her Wednesday night class and there's a lot of small groups, the men's ministry, the ladies' ministry, there's small groups where they have teachers teaching in those groups and that's, you know, the gifts, teaching gifts that Ephesians talking about here. Jesus gave those gifts for us to help us to mature in our faith, help us to understand how to interpret the scriptures and uh, I know that there's lots of teaching gifts in here right now that uh, maybe you're not functioning in your gifting as far as teaching the word, but you'd, maybe you would like to do that. And what I would suggest for doing that would be great to come alongside people like Pastor Paul or Karen or people that are leading these other small groups and come in there and tell them you want to help them lead this group. You want to learn how to do this or you even want to do it. You know, contact me if you want to lead these kinds of things. Or Adam, lead small groups. Uh, teach, you have a teaching gift. Because uh, we wanna, don't want to let those talents just sit dormant. That's not a healthy thing for us to do. Jesus makes that very clear. So in these texts here, without a proper context uh, in these first couple of verses, you know, you, know you just look at them, we're doomed. 
It's hopeless. It's finished. And we're as good as dead, but, but when you, uh, that's not what these texts are saying. So uh, they, and we obviously, we know that's not what they're saying, but because we know the gospel message of Jesus Christ is that he died for our sins and he forgives us for our sins and he suffered so that he can do that. And when things don't seem to make sense like this, it's imperative that we ask why. What is this saying? You know, what's going on here? Because uh, there's got to be something going on here that these texts would be written like this. Um, in 1 John uh, 1, 8 and 9, it says that if we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we cl uh, claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our heart. You know, these two verses here have haunted so many people who've read them wanting to be obedient to the word. Uh, taking scriptures out of context, there's many of them that we can do, you know, and there's uh, the book of Acts. You think about those people that, uh, like, they sold everything they had and they come together and gave the money to the apostles and, and they live together in, in that season. And there's people that have taken that scripture and they've gone out and started con communes saying that that's the way that it's supposed to be because that's what you see in the scripture you know proper contextual understanding of the scriptures vital to us to walk this healthy walk out and God shows us how we can do that so we see you know this is not true also because of the great stories that we have in the Bible of a lot of the great Bible characters who have committed transgressions or sins and then they have uh, had a time of repentance, and then they've walked in the goodness and the blessings of God afterwards. Uh, and, you know, so what is a transgression? You know, a transgression or our sins is the violating of a boundary that God has set there. You know, and you know, does God forgive that? Of course He does. You know, we're not saying this so that we can have free license to sin. Like that's that's another thing. It's like we're just flip flop one way or to the other way. It's as we grow in our faith and we learn about the grace and the mercies of God that he shows towards us that we, and we know that we're growing and maturing in our faith when we begin to care about what God thinks. We're not just willy-nilly with the sin in our life, but we care what God thinks. We're being convicted when we are in that state. And when we're experiencing conviction of these sins that we're committing, uh, and we start to keep short accounts, you know that you're starting to grow in your faith. We know we're growing when we're continually coming to that throne of grace that we might find mercy to help us in our time of need. It's amazing. We just keep coming back, coming back, coming back, and he'll always be there for us. It's when we're wanting to spend time with God in prayer and we're discovering more about Jesus' character in that place that will grow. So if we're desiring God, we're in a good place. Are you desiring the Lord today? Are you trying to spend time, trying to develop a devotional life, trying to do the things that the Holy Spirit is quickening to your heart that you're seeing in, in Scripture? You know, we're all different in our relationship with God, and it looks different. And that's the great thing about a body. You know, we can never expect somebody else to do things the way that we do them. We're all different. It's the way God has made us. And the superficial interpretation of verse 26 and 7 obviously can't be right. We know this because God has declared otherwise through his scriptures. He says, I will forgive, or I, have, I forgive transgressions. 
He says, this is, you know, like this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus. That's why Jesus came. You know, God is good and he's for us. And so what he's saying here is not that we are eternally condemned. Praise God for that. You know, if we skip down to verse 29 here, we see what he's saying and who he's talking about here. He says, just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God, have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. You know, there's three things in this passage, in these verses right here, that he says, this is, you know, this is the things that we're going to bring out right here. He says, this individual or these people that live like this, who tramples on the Son of God, this is what they do. He has treated the blood of the covenant, which means, uh, which has made us holy as if it was common and unholy. And he has insulted and disdained or outraged the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy. You know, so us in our day and age and here in this church, you know, what about us? You know, do we trample on the Son of God by making mistakes? Do we do it by getting angry at somebody and maybe hurting somebody deeply? Do we do it by maybe drifting and maybe we're not spending time with the Lord. Maybe we've been busy, been distracted by the cares and the concerns of this world to the detriment of our spiritual well-being. You know, we don't, it, that's not how it works, these verses, and that's not what they're saying. And we know this because 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2 says, My dear children, there's more of the gospel of Jesus Christ here. I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads, on our, uh, pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Jesus Christ is the one who has removed from us the wrath of God. Praise God for that. You know, it was ours, but Jesus stood in the path of it. He consumed it upon himself. This, this passage in 1 John um, the first verse of 1 John here, it tells us that we're probably going to be messing up throughout our lives. But when we do, God has made a way for us. You know, praise God for his word to uh, Romans 8, saying that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. That's a King James rendition. Because uh, um, he says, but rather he set us free from the law of sin and of death. And uh, there's this thing in effect in our lives. And it's the death of Jesus Christ that cleanses us and that keeps on cleansing us as we continue to come to him and uh, to be with him, keeping short accounts. That's a real key to our spiritual walk, keeping short accounts with Jesus. Not ignoring the sin in our life when we sin. As soon as you sin, you should be sensitive enough to realize, okay, what you've done, oh Lord, you know, forgive me. The writer wrote this letter to a people who once embraced the gospel of Jesus. They were serving and they were suffering, but they were now turning away. And they were wanting to go back to depend on the law instead of trusting in the sacrifice that Jesus made. And the writer says here that there's no longer a sacrifice that can be, that can be made that can cover sin. The old system it didn't exist anymore. They could go back and they could do it, but it never meant a thing because it was past. Jesus became that once-for-all sacrifice. 
There's no longer a covering that uh, for knowingly and deliberately rejecting the sacrifice he's saying and uh, coming to a place um, where we can be forgiving. There's no other way to do that. And what he's saying is that these people are saying, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. I don't believe that Jesus died on the cross and I reject it. I reject the sacrifice that Jesus made on that cross. And that's how we do those things. That's how we uh, commit those things that they, God can't forgive us if we're rejecting Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us. In other words, we're turning from faith to unbelief. We have a great tendency in life, all of us, to stumble, to trip up here and there. And we're going to more than likely, I could just about guarantee it, well, I can pretty much guarantee it, that you're going to stumble. And uh, it's going to happen until Jesus calls us home. And the first century audience of the Hebrews here were experiencing opposition for their faith, and they were being frustrated, and they were facing pressure to give up, to stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And their writer reassures them that everything that they seek can be found in Jesus. Every need we have deep within us is found in Christ Jesus. That's what fills that gap and that hunger. Hope in Christ is so much better than anything society has to offer us. And once our entire lives are transformed by Jesus, we can withstand any persecution that can come our way. Hebrews uh, 10.30 says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, you might wonder why he's saying this to believers. Because he's reminding them of the fact that if they reject the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, there's no other option but to stand in judgment for their own sin. And the good news, good news about the gospel is that Jesus has taken that for us. But there is judgment coming, and it's coming to the world because God will judge sin. He's just, and he has to judge it. And Jesus has been judged on our behalf on the cross. Our judgment is passed as we keep those short accounts before the Lord and keep coming back to him. He won't come back and say, oh, you again? He's going to say, yes, come on in, grow, move. He says, remember the zeal you once had. At this point in the letter, the author begins to recall some of the stuff that they were being experiencing as being persecuted. And in 32, he says, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. You know, he's talking to the believers here. He says, sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule, were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You were, knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. The Roman authorities here, they felt no compulsion to taking care of the people that they put in jail and, like, feed them or clothe them. Like, it's amazing the cruelty that uh, Rome did to the believer. Uh, it talks about thousands of crosses lining the roads with Christians that were crucified on these crosses. Uh, you hear all kinds of stories like that. Uh, Nero lighting his uh, patio with uh, putting believers in wax and then lighting the wax and burning them there. Like they suffered incredible things back in this day and they had no compulsion to take care of their prisoners and make sure that they were all looked after. 
you know, it's like you're in prison because you violated the, the laws of the empire. And you want to eat? Well, I hope you have friends. You want some warmer clothes where there's no obligation to take care of you or give you clothes because you're a prisoner. You know, and under this system, it was the other believers who risked their own freedom to go to those people and say, here, I have some food and I have some clothing for an individual. You know, that's what it means when he says that you stood in compassion with those who were being so treated and imprisoned. You stood with those people. When all that you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You know, could you imagine what that would have been like? Could you imagine, like, even today, like, uh, if our stuff was being taken away from us, you know, you work all your life to get your house paid for, to, to set up for retirement, and then all of that stuff is stripped away from you, and you end up with zero. That wouldn't be easy to, to take. You know, we would all struggle with that, obviously. But, you know, as I dealt with this kind of thing, as I was thinking about this COVID thing here, and I was contemplating all of this stuff because your imagination can go wild. It's times like that, so extreme. And, uh, but I thought, you know, once everything was gone, how free would we be? Once it's gone, then you wouldn't have it to worry about anymore. And that'd be great. So I want to just share, you know, like, um, I'm not sure what your experience of coming to know the Lord is. Like when I, be, when I come to know the Lord, like to remember back the days uh, when you first discovered Jesus. When I first uh, gave my life to Christ, discovered that Jesus was alive, that he was real, that he wanted to have a relationship with me, I was changed. It was like a, a switch come on me. I, it didn't keep me out of trouble for quite some time. You know, you learn how to walk the walk because you're preaching the, you're preaching the talk, but you're not living the walk and then you're labeled a hypocrite. You're... You know, they just roll their eyes. They like to persecute you in all kinds of ways, trying to make you swear, trying to make you stumble up and stuff. But my relationship, when I got saved, it was instant. It was really pretty dramatic for me. But, you know, we're all different. We've all had different experiences. And uh, my granddaughter, Phoenix, she, um, she went, she's born, in, she's like a third-generation Christian. I was a first-generation Christian. And so for me, it was like, wow, the light come on, and I was 20, I was 19 years old. My granddaughter, Phoenix, I helped her write her testimony, and I uh, just wanted to read a little bit of her story here because it's so different than mine was as being a third-generation Christian. Uh, and uh, because we're all different, and I want to encourage us that way, because your story isn't like somebody else's story. That doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. You still have a story, and we need to be telling our stories you know, Friday mornings, we have a men's breakfast here, and if somebody shares their testimony every Friday morning, they get up for about 15 minutes, and they share their story about how they come to know the Lord and what he's doing in their life, and you get to know them on a deeper level, and it's an amazing thing to hear each other's stories. You know, and it's so important that we tell our stories to people around us, because that's, you know, like uh, scripture says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word. And so as we're sharing our story, we're sowing the word of God into people's hearts. Either we're sowing or we're watering the word that's already been sown into their heart. And so every time we share it, it's either being watered or we're lodging seeds. And if we're watering these seeds, eventually plants are going to start to grow. Eventually there's going to be a harvest there. But if we're quiet, there is going to be no harvest there. You know, we're challenge to go out and make disciples and we need to catch that vision just sharing your own personal story that nobody can argue with that 
It doesn't matter what anybody even thinks of that. Your story is your story, and it's beautiful, and it's meaningful. But with Phoenix, so mine was dramatic. Phoenix, she's a third-generation Christian, and as she's writing her testimony to share, she says, I was raised in a Christian home, and my family has always been in some type of ministry my whole life. And uh, my siblings and I have always been taught that God loves us and that he, uh, we can trust and rely on him. She's about, I think she was 13 at the time, uh, it's around there. And she says, I would say that when I was younger, I had a trusting relationship with God. So at the time, I was, ju- it was, just, I was just growing up with it, and it didn't really, I didn't know anything other than that. I prayed that I would, ha- you know, when I was having troubles or I needed help, and when I was uh, at the church praying to me, she said that was just the normal part of life. I would hear people talk, she says, about this big experience they had of coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. She says, but I never had that. So they think, oh, she hasn't had that. She's not Christian yet then, obviously. But she goes on to say, she says, I have had a bunch of little moments at the altar giving myself to Jesus. I feel, and, and I feel all of these little moments are amounting to one big moment. You know, and I, so I tell that, little bit of a story there about Phoenix. The difference between my dramatic salvation and her salvation where she's just sort of in it and flowing through life in the midst of it. And uh, so she hasn't got that dramatic, but she's still having her encounters with Jesus and, and serving him as Lord. You know, and we're all born in trespasses and sins, every single one of us. And it's only by the grace of God that all of those who have received this sacrifice Uh, that Jesus has made, have been given the right to be called the children of God. It says in John chapter 1, verse 14, to everyone who received him, he gave the right to be called the children of God. What an awesome right. Of all the rights to stand on, that's the one to stand on. So what is your story? You know, I've heard it said, I don't have a story. We all have a story. Don't ever listen to that lie. We all have a story. And, uh, you know, we've got to remember the big picture of what we're about as a church and as the believers in the body of Christ. Ephesians 2.6 says that, For he raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So do not throw away, he says in verse 35, do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Don't throw in the towel, he's saying. Why would you do that? Why would you throw it away? Verse 37, for in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. So don't throw it away. We can't do that. He's challenging them. Don't shrink back. Instead, have faith. And we go from here into chapter 11, and it's the book, it's the heroes of the faith. It talks about those that lived by faith. It's a great chapter. You know, we live by faith. We started this Christian walk by faith. We're going to end this Christian walk by faith. You know, and everything in between is about faith. You know, this is the answer to everything in our lives. Have faith in God from the first to the last. The last breath that you draw on this earth is going to be a a breath of faith. And so he's telling them, don't shrink back. 
And it ends, it ends with this re- encouraging remark here in verse 39, but we are not like those who um, turn away from God to their own destruction. Where is there to go? If we turn away and turn back from God, where are, what are we turning to? You know, Scripture says God is love. All good things come from the Lord. What are we going to end up with if we turn away from God? It says turn from God to their own destruction because that's all that's left. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. And so he's telling them, don't shrink back. You know, so this message, I hope, is clear this morning. When we're reading the scriptures, it's so important that we read them in context. When you find, you know, like people, the unsaved people that don't know the scriptures and they want to, and they're, you know, if they want to mock God or they want to uh, mock the Christian saying that God, the word of God is so contradictory. It's not contradictory. It's amazing how it doesn't contradict. Here you would think, okay, by the, if you're going to read it by what's on the page there, it's saying that if you sin, you're condemned. But the other part, it says, no, Jesus died for your sins. If you claim to not have sin, you deceive yourself. So learn how to interpret the word contextually. If you, you know, know somebody, speak to them and help, have, ask them to help you. Study it together. Our uh, discipleship program's great. One-on-one, studying the word together, learning the foundations of the gospel. You know, think back on the days when you first become a believer. Don't let your first love for the Lord grow cold. You know, stir that up within you. Remember where you come from. We must persevere in faith. You know, the path to heaven is not about being a good person. Being a good person is the fruit of being on the right path, and that's living in the grace and the goodness of God, just knowing that he, is, he has paid the price for you. So that's not the issue. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren. Jesus is not an accuser of the brethren. Jesus is compassionate. He's kind. His burdens are light. And he wants us to learn from him. You know, it just doesn't get any better. doesn't get any better than that. He's gracious. He's good. You know, and the fruit of that is you're going to be a good person. How could you not be a good person? Because you're going to be bearing the fruits of the Spirit. So we get to heaven by embracing the sacrifice that Jesus made. And so are you relying on this saving grace this morning? You know, we cannot think that there's any other way to walk out this life other than a complete surrender to God's spirit. It's the only way. You know, and um, I know that there's people in our body that are struggling, like even in my own life, I've got so many things going on, uh, you know, like pressure points and stuff like that. And, I don't take that lightly, you know, our struggles, our hurts and and, uh, things that we go through. But you know, it it does all come down to faith. You know, when I I look back on my life of of the very extreme struggles, trials of my faith, you know, I look back and I can just see God's hand on my life through them all. He's been so faithful to me. At the time, it was trouble. Like, it was hard. And I've mentioned it probably every time I preach about my brother when he was killed. He has three little boys, six, eight, and nine years old. Do you think you can make sense of that? You think, you know, you go before God and say, okay, Lord, this does not make sense in any way whatsoever. My brother being a Christian and uh, these little boys, all of a sudden they have no dad and they're not going to tell, their, <laughs> tell them about their dad, what had happened. 
to me, you know, before God, that didn't make any sense at all. And I had talked with the Lord, but I never blamed him. I thought, okay, Lord, I know you know best. You know the big picture. You know the beginning from the end. And I leave it with you. And I trust you, Lord God. And um, it's amazing what God has done in, in the lives of the, the kids. Like Alex, Carly Borsma. Alex, <laughs> Carly Stevenson. She was a Borsma. You know, he's married her. They got their family and stuff. And he's doing so good. He's doing well, and he's working on getting his brothers to church and stuff like that. God knows what needs to happen, you know, and so, you know, our struggles are real, and I don't, I don't just wimps over them, but faith in Jesus Christ, keeping our mind stayed on him, he says he'll keep us in perfect peace, and that's what we want, and that's where we want to live, and we want to understand the word properly and not be putting pressure on ourselves or on other people that is not meant to be there because we're interpreting the text wrong. Uh, this, is, this has been an incredibly intense trying to thing, trying to work on this, to be able to speak this like this. And talk about pressure right up till last night, you know. But will I ever sleep good tonight? <laughs> He's a good God. Amen. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Well, Father, I pray for anybody maybe that has... Uh, been drifting in life lord we all seem to drift at times we all seem to to stray get distracted with cares and concerns all around us father god but lord as we come back to you you're always there you're always there with your arms open wanting to just to just to crawl up on your lap and just give us a hug and hold us i pray for everybody lord to hear that uh, maybe has drifted maybe hasn't given you the time of day or the attention that they need to for their sake lord god i pray that you would be their strength that you would help them to see that you love them and that they just need to acknowledge you to come to you and they can live life lord god but to have you at the center of that life lord there's people in here that have been hurt that have hurts, Lord God, deep down inside that are affecting them and making it hard for them to walk out this walk. I pray for them, Lord. I pray grace in their lives. I pray that you would help them to find the place, Lord, where they can get the help and the healing that they need. Pray for people, Lord God, that are struggling with emotional needs and uh, physical needs, Lord. We just thank you that we can bring all of this to you. We do that. We bring it to you. We just give it to you. And we say, Lord, your will be done in our lives. Help us to understand your word. Help us to lean on each other, Father God, when we need the different things that we do need in life from each other. I pray that this world would know that we, that you, we are believers because of our love for one another, that you, they would know that you sent us. So bless us, Lord. Give us a heart for the lost. Help us to be a bright light in our community. In Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you as you go.